As you take your seats, I encourage you or invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what indeed a comfort it is to know that your eyes are toward us and that your ears are toward our prayer. Because we need you. These words that you have revealed to us, Lord, are difficult, they are hard. They do not come naturally. In fact, that they're very opposite of what so often is the intuited response within our hearts, let alone our minds, our wills, and our words. And that is to live in such confidence in Jesus Christ that we do not engage with the world the way the world engages with itself, let alone the way that it engages with us. Lord, may you indeed bless this word to us and grant us the courage to trust you in it and to even take the chance of making ourselves vulnerable to put it into practice. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Beloved, what Peter has been saying to his folks and what he has been saying to us is that the Christian task today is to make Christianity visible, intelligible, and to show why it is desirable. The Christian task today is to make Christianity visible, intelligible, and to show why it is desirable. We are to make it visible, he has been telling us, that we would show that it is a way of life 
that it is not merely words or, or ideas, but that it is an embrace of a way of living, a way of viewing the world, a way of understanding ourselves and our neighbors. We are to make it intelligible by showing that it is a, a way of life that makes sense. It is a way of life that reveals God's goodness and tastes of God's goodness, and it shows forth that goodness. We are to show it to be desirable, that we might be used by God. And this is important, that in our mission, we don't see what we are doing primarily as rendering judgment against sinners but that we awaken within them an understanding of their own passions and desires that are not being fulfilled in the things that they are seeking, but can only be fulfilled in God. Because God is the one who has put them there. He has made them for himself. And our hearts, we are told, are restless until they find their rest in him. C.S. Lewis once said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Beloved, God made this world, and he made it uh, and, and, and filled it with himself, with his goodness, with his joy. And sin has not completely decimated that, but it has definitely twisted it and thwarted it. And, and man who was created in God's image, which is crea and created to be a worshiper of God, now continues to worship, but because of sin, they worship the wrong things, or quite often even worshiping the right things for the wrong reasons or in the wrong ways. Unbelievers, when you see their sin, what you are seeing there are their futile attempts to try to satisfy a God-given desire with anything and everything other than God. And that is why their lives reflect chaos. That is why their lives reflect those sinful behaviors, those sinful attitudes. It's because they are unfulfilled. Think about the last time you were aware of feeling unfulfilled, which, by the way, is a contradiction for Christians because you couldn't be more filled than having received everything in Jesus Christ. And yet you and I still wrestle with that, don't we? We still wrestle with feeling unfulfilled. We still wrestle with the same thing where we will take a God-given desire and rather taking it to him to find our satisfaction, we go to the world. We go to the flesh. We go to the devil. This is not only something that unbelievers wrestle with. We wrestle with it. But we wrestle with it differently. Because we have a God who continues to pursue us even within our wrestling. Where he will allow, he'll allow us to wrestle with him. 
but he does so as a father who is always ready when we settle down to give himself to us in a fresh way that we may know his presence, that we may know his care. The unbeliever never stops wrestling. Beloved, what they don't need from us is a bunch of finger-wagging and a bunch of condemnatory talk. There are times that we need to point out sin. There are times when we need to talk about that. But I think what Peter has for us is that when we do that, it's not for the purpose of putting them down. It's for the purpose of revealing to them, here is why you have this struggle. When we say that, or when Peter says here that we are are, are living a faith that shows Christianity to be desiring or desirable, we are awakening a fresh consciousness within those persons so that they will see that there is the satisfaction that they crave is offered in Jesus Christ. What Peter has been saying and what I have been trying to say and at times failing miserably is that our faith and our mission are one and the same. The term that is used today to describe this is missional. I don't like that word. I love the concept. But I don't like the word because it gets abused. It get, it's used to justify all kinds of weird things within the church. It's used to do all kinds of things, and I don't want to get all judgy. I don't like the word, but the concept is beautiful. Because the concept of living missionally is just another way of understanding God's existence. God is on a mission. Being on mission defines who God is and his interactions with his world. Our faith, as it draws us into this shared life and love with the triune God, it draws us into their mission as well. And so Peter is telling us to live in such a way as to make Christianity visible, intelligible, and desirable. We have an understanding in Christ that the future is decided, which means the present is secure. Unbelievers don't. They are scared. They are cocky. They are prideful. They are arrogant. They're trying after anything and everything for security and for love. To put it another way, they live without hope. And the only hope that they think they have is a hope that they generate for themselves. Do you see how unsteady that must be? 
For those who are adults who came to Christ later in life, can you remember how shaky it was, how uncertain it was to live as an unbeliever, not knowing the future, and and because of that, having no confidence in the present? Remember what Peter has said. We have been born again to a living hope. We have been born again to an inheritance that is kept for us, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and we are being kept for it. Is there any more secure or any more security that we can have than that? And because that future and that present are held together in Jesus Christ, he is calling us in the midst of a difficult world to live with the courage of Jesus Christ, which manifests itself not in prideful strength, but in meek humility. Especially when it comes to interacting with unbelievers, especially when it comes to our words. Our words reflect our hearts we said a few weeks ago. Our our hearts express themselves, Jesus says, through the words that we speak and through the actions that we perform, through the attitudes that we reveal, what we are showing in, in all of those things, what's going on within our hearts. And if our hearts are not living in the security that we already possess in Jesus Christ, our hearts, when we are confronted can become fearful, and when they become fearful, we can back away, we can retreat, or you can do like me, and you can fight, and fight verbally. You're going to take me on? I am going to put you in the dirt with my words. Hopefully just words. But those are our our options, right? Right? When you are not living in the security of Jesus Christ, that's how you respond fearfully with words. You argue. You become contemptuous. You take people on. You're argumentative. This is why Peter takes us to Psalm 34 and why we took that week to look just at Psalm 34 because the question before us today from this text in 1 Peter with regards to our calling to make Christianity visible, to make it intelligible, to make it desirable, the question is, are you ready? Because the text tells us to always be ready. Are you ready? Well, the question then is this, are you fearing Or are you hoping? If you are fearing, you're not ready. If you are hoping, then you are. And we'll get back to that in a minute. If you are hoping, you're ready. 1 Peter 3, Peter takes us to Psalm 34. If the Lord seeks us, if the Lord answers us when we seek him, if the Lord delivers us from all our fears, if those who look to him are radiant, if those um, who look to him uh, have their, 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 that their faces shall never be ashamed, 
if it's true that the Lord hears us, if it's true that the Lord saves us out of all of our troubles, if it's true that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them, if it's true that those who fear and seek him lack no good thing, if it's true that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry, if it's true that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles, if it's true that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, if it's true that the Lord redeems the life of his servants and that none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned, then I'm asking you, who or what is there to fear? Revere him above all things, savor his goodness, find confidence in him, rehearse his superiority, and reveal him in his beneficence to the world. This is what we talked about from Psalm 34. Despite our anxieties and our concerns. Not because that takes them away, but it just doesn't allow them to define us you will still be anxious. You will still have concerns. We will still wrestle with disrepute. We will still struggle with earthly difficulties. We will continue to have reason to cry. We will continue to wrestle with our own brokenness, let alone the world's. And yet, regardless of this earthly situation, nothing alters, nothing hinders, nothing reverses our experience of God in our new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing changes, nothing alters, nothing reverses or hinders that we have been made alive in the Spirit. It is hope that it now defines us It defines our situation in life. It defines how we respond to the life around us so that we are characterized by a pursuit of the good with our works and especially our words. This is what Peter is putting before us. And what is the alternative? Well, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He cuts off the memory of the evil from the earth. Affliction which we are delivered out of and cannot hurt us. Affliction slays the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. I ask you again, what is there for you to fear? Who is there to harm you? What can change any of what he has done? Who is there to obstruct or dispossess you of your blessing in Jesus Christ. Right? There is nothing. The only one strong enough to do anything like that is God. And what has he said? In Christ, I accept you because he has made you acceptable. Can you see God refusing, or God the Father refusing his son? 
God the Father who with his Son went through the valley of the shadow of death in order to bring us out from that to face our enemies as those who have a seat at his table? Can you see the Father kicking Jesus out of the heavenly places? Can you see the Father removing Jesus from the throne? Can you see the Father deciding that he no longer is accepting the ministry of Jesus Christ on his own behalf, let alone yours? It's laughable, right? God doesn't do that. In fact, his righteousness makes it impossible for him to do so. Who is there to harm you? Who is there to fear? Now, why is this all important? Because Peter now tells us that because this is true, because this is how secure you are in Jesus Christ, honor Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts so that you may be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in him. Honoring Christ the Lord as holy. In the NIV, it's in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In the NASB, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In the King James, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What he is doing here is in contrast, in verse 14, in contrast to fearing men, he is saying, fear God. Just the exact same thing that he said, uh, that, that the psalmist said in Psalm 34. Don't fear man because there's no reason to fear man. Instead, fear the Lord. And you fear the Lord by revering him in your hearts, by honoring him in your hearts, by setting him apart in the complete devotion of who you are, in the core of your existence to him. What Peter does here, by the way, is once again for the second time, he is referring back to Isaiah chapter 8. He, he did this first back in chapter 2 where he talked about Jesus Christ has become the stumbling stone that even his own covenant people were rejecting because of their sin. What he now does is he, he refers to the, the verses just prior to that. Where, he, where Isaiah says, the Lord warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Why? Because he becomes a sanctuary to those who do so even while at the same time becoming a sanctuary that those who are wicked will reject and refuse. And by the way, what, what Peter does here is he takes that portion of Scripture from Isaiah 8 that refers to Yahweh, and now he refers to Jesus. How are we supposed to feel about our adversaries versus how we are supposed to feel about God? We are supposed to listen, value, trust. This is, what it, this is what it is to honor 
This is what it is to revere. This is what it is to fear God. It is to love him. It is to listen to him. It is to value him above all else. And it is to trust him. But notice what Peter says here. He doesn't say in your minds. Although that is implied. What he says here is honor Christ the Lord as holy in your heart. The heart in the biblical worldview, it represents the core of who we are. It represents that center of who we are with regards to our feelings, with regards to our thoughts, with regards to our actions. The heart is that core that sums up all of those things. Our wants, our longings, our desires, our loves are at the core of our identity and the wellspring from which everything about us flows out. It is the heart that reveals itself in how we live, and it is how we live that helps to form and shape our hearts. Our wants, our longings, our desires, they reverberate from our heart, which is the epicenter of of who we are. Augustine once said, my weight is my love. Wherever I am carried, it is my love that is carrying me. You see, we cannot help but be lovers because God has made us in his image. And where sin will twist that love and send us off in the wrong direction. The righteousness imputed in Jesus Christ and the new life that we have because we've been born again. It takes us towards God. And everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think, everything that you feel, everything about you is both a reflection of your heart as well as forming and participating in the formation of your heart. It is love that leads you into sin. It's love that leads you into righteousness. Now, the love that leads you into sin is what? It is a disordered love. But it is love nonetheless. This is what Augustine means when he says, my weight is my love. What I want, what I crave, what I desire is what leads me into the things that I do, say, speak, feel, hear, listen, all the above. And so what God is doing for us in Jesus Christ is he is reordering our loves and our longings to be um, consonant with his love and with his longings. And so this is why he tells us Rather than to fear men, we fear him. We revere him. We honor him. We cherish him. We adore him. We live for him. We trust him. We value him above all things. And what he says is this. This is what makes you ready to give a defense for your hope. Now let that sink in for a moment. This is 1 Peter 3.15. This is the famous verse for apologetics, right? This is the famous verse that we, that we use to talk about apologetics, which comes from the word apology, which comes from the Greek word apologia here, 
right? It's all connected. And by apology here, it just simply means give a defense. Give a reason. Express yourself. Explain yourself. But notice what he says we are defending, explaining, expressing. It is hope. It is not intelligence. It is not intellectual arguments. Now, it doesn't mean that, that, that intellectual arguments aren't part of this, but we want to make sure that we don't make the mistake of narrowing 1 Peter 3.15 so much that it is only about showing Christianity to be intelligent. What he is saying is we are to show that it is desirable, and as we do that and people ask, we then show that it is intelligible. Jesus is not simply interested in informing our intellect. He is forming our loves. If you want to be ready, if you want to engage in apologetics, what Peter tells you to do here is to trust and love and reorder things according to what God loves and what God wants, and what God is doing. You see, if you do that, you are ready. Do you want to read worldview studies? Sure, go ahead, that's awesome. But guess what? If you aren't doing this first, you're not ready. Do you want to study philosophy? Great, it's fun, believe it or not. But if you're not doing this first, you're not ready. If you can argue somebody into the corner... It doesn't matter. You're not ready. What makes you ready is having a life that reflects the hope of God to the point that you are so secure in Jesus Christ that when you are reviled, you do not revile in return. That when you are spoke poorly of, you do not respond in kind. Notice how the emphasis here is on words. And that is because our words will reflect our fear. But notice what hope reflects, gentleness and respect. And when we talk to people about our hope in Christ, it is to be characterized first by gentleness, meaning that our responses, our engagements, with people, with unbelievers, with other worldviews, with other religions, it is to be marked by being considerate. It is not to be characterized as being harsh. It is to be friendly. It is to be kind. It is to be meek. It is to be forbearing. I'm not sure where sarcastic falls within that list. But surely it must be there because that's what I love to do. That's what comes so naturally. The way, notice here, it's not just that we live with hope so that we give a defense of our hope. It's the way that we do it that is equally important so that the way we engage in ministry reflects our Savior and his ministry, as we have said, in the way he used his tongue. Friendly, kind, meek, forbearing. It is to be respectful, 
And this is that same idea that he has been working out through chapter 2 and chapter 3, this idea of voluntarily placing yourself under someone else. Or as Paul says, consider others more important than yourself as an expression of the humility of Jesus Christ. That when you interact with others, you interact with others with appreciation, with deference, not being argumentative, not putting your ideas in someone's face, not trying to embarrass them, not trying to prove that you're smarter than them, not trying to shame them, but listening. And dare I say, honest listening. Not with preformed ideas of, oh, well, this person has used a couple of words. I've heard these words. I know what Rush says about these words, so now I'm ready to interact. Honest listening so that you can honestly understand what they are saying. One of the things that this is talking about is that in Christian engagement, as those who are defending our hope, there should be no misrepresentation of other people's positions. We should be able, if we're going to engage with someone's ideas, we should know their ideas so well that when we say, so it sounds like you're saying, and then you fill in the blank, that they go, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. In other words, no straw man arguments. It is so easy when you, when you don't really listen to someone, when you don't really understand what they're saying, when you just kind of assume that you've got it, that they'll say something, and what you do is you either minimize or you deal with what they've said on a, in a very shallow level, and you make their position seem silly. Or you make their, 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 their position seem so stupid, why would anyone believe this? And then you contradict or you argue against not their actual position, but the way you've decided to characterize their position. Engaging others with gentleness and respect means no misrepresentation, no straw man discussions. It means that the way you talk about what other, believe, but what other people believe needs to be so true and so accurate that your credibility is not called into question because of misrepresenting somebody. This is not how most communication is taking place today. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter what is going on. We do not like subtlety. We do not like things to be vague and gray. So we will make them black and white in order to make it easier for us to deal with things and to argue against them. Beloved, this is not what we are called to do. It is your insecurity that will lead you to do that. Security in Christ will free you up so that you have such an honest, 
such a gentle, such a respectful interaction with people with whom you disagree that they, he says, will be the ones who will be shamed in the way they engage, not you. Have a good conscience, he says. Engage with people in such a way that you are not ashamed of how you've done it or what you have done. It is a a life free of fear. It is a life that only can be enjoyed through words of honesty. And so if you have an interaction with someone and they say something that you don't know how to answer, oh my goodness, if you want to feel freedom and security in Christ, say this. I don't know. Good question. Let me get back to you. If you can't say, I don't know, it's because you're not confident in Christ. And I don't say that to point fingers, right? I say that to let you know. If you want to understand yourself, how secure am I in Christ? Well, can I say, I don't know? Or this. Can you say, maybe I'm wrong? doesn't mean you are wrong but can you be respectful and gentle of someone and not fear coming out of a conversation looking like the loser that's when you know that your confidence is in Christ because beloved the hope that we live The hope that we express is a hope grounded in a Savior who looks like he lost. Looks like his words did not come out victorious. And yet in the resurrection, we know that they have been. And in the resurrection, even Jesus Christ right now in his ministry does not have a ministry of condemnation but it is a ministry of hope. And so, beloved, let us, as we have said from Psalm 34, experience, express, and embody the life of our triune God, the love of our triune God, the mission of our triune God, where we engage not only in those things, but in a way that is consistent with how they how he is engaged. Our primary activity then in preparing ourselves to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, to make Christianity visible, intelligible, and to show it to be desirable is this. Cultivate happy hearts in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we allow our hearts to be formed and shaped by so many different things. And so we thank you that you do not quit on us, but that you were constantly working in our hearts. You were constantly forming Christ within them. You were constantly reforming our hearts, our minds, and our wills according to your life that is flowing within us. And yet, Lord, we work against your work by allowing other things 
by cultivating the wrong things. And so, Lord, help us to wake up more and more to that activity of the Spirit within our lives so that as we become aware more and more of the ways we wrestle against you, we will be able to repent of those things and that we will have our loves reordered and our longings be brought closer and closer into agreement with yours. And so, Father, we thank you and we ask you to work. Work in us. And Lord, we ask that you would bless our efforts as we do seek to cultivate the confidence of Christ, a confidence that will reveal the hope of Jesus Christ and that will take that chance, Lord, that will be vulnerable and open ourselves up to maybe looking foolish in a conversation, maybe looking like we don't know what we're talking about, maybe looking wrong, maybe looking like we got beat by someone's better uh, arguments. Lord, even in those situations, let us manifest the humility of our Savior who considered others better than himself. And rather than using his words to revile, he blessed and he gave himself. Lord, help us to do the same. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together this morning.